The reading is from John 1, starting at verse 29 through to 42, and it's on page 1064 in the Pew Bibles. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself didn't know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I wouldn't have known him, except that the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that John had said, who heard what John had said and who'd followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you that you pour out your spirit, you cause your word to be written, and by that same spirit you cause us to receive. And so, Father, Holy Spirit, work in your us now. Enable us to hear, receive, respond, and be changed. To the glory of God. Amen. So, when you first introduce two people to each other, how, how do you usually set about that? Ah, Mike, may I introduce Sam? Sam, Mike. And then, to stop them just goggling at each other blankly, 
you would usually tell them something about each other that's likely to be of mutual interest. Um, Sam's really interested in uh, model railways. He's got a remarkable layout in his garage. And if you've got it wrong, Mike will look baffled and say, oh, trains, eh? Oh, mm, fancy that. Yeah. Um, uh, I must just chat to my wife. <laughs> um, but if you've got it right, Mike will say something along the lines of, oh, really? How interesting. Do you know, I've been thinking for ages of getting out my old Hornby set, and it used to be my greatest pride and joy, and off they go, happily chatting together for the next hour and a half or so. So the way in which people are introduced is quite important. It tells you something about the person being introduced and something about the person to whom the introduction is being made, or at least something about what the person making the introduction thinks the two people introduced have in common. And this passage is truly remarkable because Jesus is being introduced for the first time. The one person on earth, apart from Mary and Joseph, who knows who and what Jesus is, is introducing him to somebody else. And this person performing the introduction isn't just some Tom, Dick or Harry, but the one later described by the best possible judge as among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So a very great man is introducing you to his friend. What does he have to say about him? Now, sometimes when you introduce two people, you might start by saying how you came to know them yourself. Um, Mike, Sam and I got to know each other when we were both stranded on cruise station one Sunday afternoon a few years ago, and uh, he told me then about his train set. So how does John come to know Jesus? Well, the first thing he tells us is that he didn't know him, and that's very surprising because, after all, they were cousins. Even when they were both still in their mother's womb, John had kicked vigorously when Mary arrived to see Elizabeth. But what John means is that, even so, he hadn't known whom God was going to pick out as the one. All he knew was that God had told him, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. And that was what happened. So, effectively, the conversation runs, um, let me introduce Jesus. Uh, I got to know who he really was when he came to me for baptism. And do you know, when I baptised him, the Holy Spirit came down and stayed on him. And the extraordinary thing about that was that that was exactly what God had told me was going to happen. And that when it did, that would be how I would know who his chosen one was. Now, in this passage, there's a three-day sequence. It's always worth looking a bit carefully whenever you see a three-day sequence in Scripture, because more often than not, it means something pointing to the death and resurrection of Jesus. So here, we don't know exactly which day Jesus came to John for baptism, but it must have been near the time when the Jewish leaders come to ask John who he himself was, because that was verse 19 before our reading. Uh, and he spent the whole time pointing away from himself. He resisted the temptation to say, well, yes, I am quite important, actually. Yes, I, I have an anointing from God to, to be a prophet. He wasn't bigging himself up to emphasize how special he was. On the contrary, he just keeps saying no to every su suggestion about it. Are you the prophet? No. Are you? No. Are you? No. Because he insists, I baptize just with water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And what you're seeing there is John, who's a very special figure, 
but effectively dying to his own reputation, dying to his own self-importance. And then, the next day, Jesus comes towards John, and John gives his amazing introduction. And then, verse 35, again the next day, i.e. the third day, John's disciples transfer to Jesus. And begin the cycle of introductions again as Andrew brings Simon to Jesus, and Jesus renames him Peter. So in these three days, there's been a cycle through from a death to self to a recreation. And it all hinges on the introduction of Jesus. And he's introduced by three names. First of all, Lamb of God. Then Son of God, or in some of the early versions, the Chosen One. And then thirdly, the Messiah, the Anointed One, or Christ. Because all three mean the same thing in three different languages. Now, isn't it remarkable that the first title, indeed the first name by which Jesus is introduced, is Lamb of God? Because it's a title that's never found before, but to a first century Jew, it could only mean one thing, sacrifice. The lamb was the offering to keep God happy. When Abraham took Isaac up to Mount Moriah, the boy asked, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And when under Moses, God rescued his people from Egypt, the destroying angel slew the oldest son in every household except where the people of God had slain and eaten the Passover lamb and smeared its blood upon the doorposts so that the angel passed over the homes of the Israelites. And in Moses' sacrificial system, it was the sacrifice of the lamb that atoned for the sins of the people year by year. So the mind of any Jew told by John that Jesus is the Lamb of God will leap at once to the thought, oh, John's saying that this man is going to be sacrificed for us. And if they're in any way religious, their thoughts will jump at once to Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The greatest prophet who has ever lived is telling his hearers as the first thing they need to know about this chap strolling along the riverbank that he is God's sacrifice who will, verse 29, take away the sin of the world. Because God isn't happy. God is angry and distressed at the sin and rebellion of the world. And because he's perfectly just, he can't just ignore our sinful state, something has to happen to deal with our sins. There has to be an appropriate punishment for them. But how can we offer satisfaction for Les Majesté against the King of Kings? Something or someone will have to take away our sin. The Lamb, as Revelation 13 puts it, slain from the foundation of the world, accomplishes that offered for us. But, but, who can be there? Who can come up to be that offering on our behalf? Who can represent us adequately? Only one fully human, yet untainted by the sin of humanity. Only the one appointed by God, the chosen one. Who could that be? Well, only God himself, the Son of God. The one who, as John put it, has surpassed him because he was from everlasting before John. 
He alone will be able to make humanity new. John, yes, John may be able to baptise with water to bring people to repentance for their sins, but only the one sent by God will be able to baptise with the Holy Spirit to make humanity new. So Jesus' first title is Lamb of God, his second is Son of God, God's chosen one, and the third we see in the lovely response of Andrew, because it's such a pretty little story. Andrew and his friend are so responsive, they respect John and he points them towards Jesus, and they go off and they wander along behind Jesus. And his invitation to them is the same as he makes to every human being on the face of the planet. Come and see. This is how people meet Jesus, because someone tells them about him and they respond to his invitation to come and see. There's no other way of meeting him. No one can get to him by argument. Nobody can get to him by deduction. It has to be by come and see for yourself. And then Andrew does this simple and beautiful thing. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him. That's the right reaction. And look what he tells him. We found the Messiah, the anointed one, the one promised in scripture. Now, Peter may be the first later on to make the first public declaration to Jesus' face. You are the Messiah, the son of God. But it's Andrew, quiet, shy Andrew, who's there way ahead of him, right from the start. We found the Messiah. Thousands of years, the whole sweep of creation, the promises there will be the anointed one who will lead the people to freedom. And John has said, look, this is the one who's going to do it. And Andrew goes off and Jesus says, come and see. He says, it's happened. We, we, found, we found the Messiah. Who else can he be? The one who takes away the sin of the world. He must be the anointed one. And he proves it by taking what the world has already and remaking it. And we see that happening, first of all, with Simon. He turns Simon, shiftless, irresponsible, overboasting Simon, turns him into the rock, Peter. Once John the Baptist realised who Jesus was, he no longer tried to get people to join him. He pointed them to Jesus. The first time Jesus is introduced, he is presented as the sacrifice, the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then we're told that he is the chosen one, the son of God. Then we realize that he is the Messiah, the one anointed to rescue humanity. And every human being is invited to discover for themselves that he sets us free and makes us new to come and see for themselves. That's the gospel. That's the good news right from the very start. Come and see for yourself the invitation made to each one of us and to our family and to our friends. All we have to do is to say, we found the Messiah. And they may say, well, well fine, bully, bully for you. But we've given them that invitation, come and see. And then every single person has got to be sufficiently open and honest that they have a go. Come and see for themselves. Are we going to share that invitation like Andrew? Are we going to live it? Well, that decision is up to us. That's free will. Let's pray.
Father God, how wonderful is your plan of salvation, that you didn't leave us comfortless, you didn't leave us uh, stewing in our own sin and disobedience and rebellion, but instead you sent your Son, you came into the world. Jesus, we thank you that you came and gave yourself to death, even death on the cross. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you apply that glorious freedom won for us on the cross in our own lives. So, Father, we ask you to help us fully to respond, to come to you in every situation and see for ourselves that you have won victory. And enable us, Holy Spirit, to pass that invitation on to other people. May our friends and neighbours come and see that Jesus is the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Messiah. Amen.